This message was presented at the GYC 2015 conference called Chosen Faithful in Louisville, Kentucky. For other resources like this, visit us online at www.gycweb.org. Oh, GYC, do you love Jesus? Oh, yes, we love Jesus. Are you sure you love Jesus? And why do you love Jesus? Because he first loved me, that's the reason we all are too. All together. Oh, how I love Jesus singing. Oh, how I love Jesus. Oh, how I love Jesus. Because he first loved me. How many of you guys, that's why you're here tonight? Because you love Jesus? Amen? I know that's why I'm here tonight. The devil trying to give me a little cold. So that means it's got to get a little hotter in the sermon. Amen. Don't want me to preach. That's all right. I'm going to preach anyway. Well, this evening, as I'm... I want you to take your Bibles and go with me to Revelation chapter 12. Revelation chapter 12. And we're going to have a word of prayer together. When you're there, you can say amen. All right, let's pray together. Father in heaven, just want to thank you, Lord, that we have come safely through another week. Here we are on the very edges of this holy day. Father, we just pray that this would afford sweet hours of communion. We just pray that as we bring in the new year, almost upon a Sabbath, We pray that we would learn to rest in you, Lord. We ask tonight that as we look at your word, that you would speak through this man who is but dust in your sight. We pray, Lord, that you would not only speak through me, that you would speak to me. And we are praying that Jesus would be seen and he would be high and lifted up. And we pray that in his name, that you would banish all things that are not of his kingdom from this place. And, Lord, that you would allow us to be revived by that spirit that is coming in the name that is above every name. That is coming in a name that is the only name given among men whereby we must be saved. And that is the same name we offer this prayer. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Brothers and sisters... I think I found the devil's least favorite chapter in the Bible. In Revelation 12, the Bible says, beginning in verse 3, And another sign appeared in heaven. Behold, a great fiery red dragon, having seven heads and ten horns and seven diadems on his heads. And his tail drew a third of the stars of heaven and threw them to the earth, and the dragon stood before the woman who was ready to give birth to devour her child as soon as it was born. 
she bore a male child who was to rule all nations with a rod of iron, and her child was not consumed by the dragon, but the child was caught up to God and to his throne. I think I found the devil's least favorite chapter. You see, the Bible says in verse 6, Then the woman fled into the wilderness, where she has a place prepared by who? By God, that they should feed her there 1,260 days. I think I found the devil's least favorite chapter. In verse 7, the Bible says, And war broke out in heaven. Michael and his angels fought with the dragon, and the dragon and his angels fought. But the Bible says, But they did not prevail. Can you say amen? nor was a place found for them in heaven any longer. I think I found the devil's least favorite chapter. But it goes on to tell us. It says, Then I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, Now salvation and strength in the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ have come. For the accuser of our brethren who accused them before our God day and night has been cast down. I think I found the devil's least favorite chapter. And the Bible says in the next verse, and they overcame him, singular, the devil, the dragon, that old serpent, Satan. They overcame him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony, and they did not love their lives unto death. I think I found the devil's least favorite chapter in the Bible. It goes on to say, therefore rejoice, O heavens. It's not only that the brother is defeated, people are rejoicing in your defeat. And you who dwell on them, woe unto the inhabitants of the earth and the sea, for the devil has come down to you having great wrath, because he knows that he has a short time. The Bible says in verse 13, now when the dragon saw that he had been cast to the earth. He persecuted the woman who gave birth to the male child. But the woman was given two wings of a great eagle that she might fly into the wilderness to her place where she is nourished for a time and times and half a time from the presence of the serpent. I think I found the devil's least favorite chapter. But as if that wasn't enough, Verse 15 says, So the serpent spewed water out of his mouth like a flood after the woman, that he might cause her to be carried away by the flood. But, the Bible says, the earth helped the woman, and the earth opened its mouth and swallowed up the flood which the dragon had spewed out of his mouth. I think I found the devil's least favorite chapter. Time and time again, the devil has been getting it whether it be on heaven or whether it be on earth. Every single time the devil has a plan, Revelation 12 reminds us the devil's plans have always failed. Time and time again, the devil doesn't want you reading this chapter to remind you how many times Christ has sent him away with his tail between his legs. This is the devil's least favorite chapter, but there's one last verse. Because the devil is a knucklehead. You know, when I was growing up, I recently went to my uncle's funeral. And my, one of my youngest uncles, he used to babysit me as a kid. And he said, Sebastian, you know, of course, you know, your family always wants to bring up the embarrassing stories at these gatherings. That's all they remember are the things that make you look bad. So my uncle looked at my family, and we were all sitting there talking at the table. 
at the repast, and he said, you know what I used to call you when you were younger? I said, of course I remember what you used to call me. Let's not talk. He said, no, no, I have to, I have to remind people. I used to call you will not. Because no matter what you told Sebastian, he will not do it. Sebastian, go brush your hair. I will not do it. He said, Sebastian, sit down. He will not sit down. You know, I, I learned from the fact that that nickname doesn't really belong to me. Amen. It really belongs to the devil himself. Because it doesn't matter how many times he loses, he still wants to keep making war and fighting. How many times do you have to be defeated before you get the picture? But you see, I think the devil keeps going because he realizes that he is not always losing in our lives. The devil keeps going because at some point in time, he's realizing I'm winning a couple victories on this side of eternity. The devil keeps making war even though Christ has ultimately defeated him because he's getting some minor victories in your heart and in my heart. And because of this, he continues to make war. So the Bible says that the dragon in verse 17 was enraged with the woman. And he went to make war with the remnant of her seed who keep the commandments of God and have the testimony of Jesus. You see, the devil has come down to a point unto our day where the Bible says the dragon is enraged with the woman. You see, the word wrath and enraged doesn't really capture it. You see, in the original language, it's the idea of being exasperated. It's the idea of being frustrated. It's the idea of saying, I've tried this time and time and time and time and time again, and I keep failing. Every time he tries to get the woman, all of a sudden, some miraculous happening comes in to deliver her. Can you say amen? You see, we don't have to worry about the fact that this woman, who symbolizes the church in all ages, she never stands up to fight the dragon. Did you notice that in the chapter? You see, when, when you look at the, the, in this corner, we have Lucifer, the highest created being. And in this corner, this little feeble woman. You can't get weaker than this in prophecy to say, who's going to win, the woman or the dragon? And guess what? Every single time, the woman four, the dragon zero. It should have been a bigger amen than that. It doesn't make sense that she is four, 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 five, four, five, and still going. Because she has learned a principle of her success, that her success does not rest in her strength. Her success does not rest in her intellect. Her success does not rest in her ability to do this or her numbers or her prestige or her money or her power. That's not where her success rests in. She knows that her success rests in 100% dependence upon Christ. She has come to realize that the devil is going to be angry and he's not just angry with everybody. The Bible says the devil is frustrated. He's exasperated. I'm so tired of chasing this woman and never catching her. So you know what he decided to do? The Bible says he went to make war. You see, that word went doesn't just mean he left. That means the, the Bible is trying to say the devil came aside and he had a group meeting with his minions. They had a board meeting. And the chairman walked in looking a little beat up, dusty, like he just came from a spiritual Vietnam. What's going on with you, man? We, we need a better plan. 
because this is not working. So as he sits down in his board meeting and is saying, how are we going to make war against the remnant of her seed? Do you know that the word remnant, uh, it, it simply means that which is remaining, that which is left. But you see, the remnant are not just people who are the leftovers. That's not what the remnant means. The remnant means that this particular thing is just like the original, but it has survived a crisis. It has gone through something that the rest of them didn't go through. You see, when we talk about the remnant concept, yes, it is all about we believe what Jesus believes. But as I said, the devil keeps making war because he has been gaining some victories in our lives. You see, some days I wake up and I think there's something wrong with my church. When I come down into the sanctuary and I sit down on the day of my baptism and the pastor who baptizes me begins to preach that you can never get victory over sin. Sometimes I think there's something wrong with my church. When you go to church and the pastor can stand up there and talk for 60 minutes and never crack the Bible. Sometimes I think there's something wrong with my church. When you go down and you find out that an elder is having an affair with another member in the church and everybody knows except his wife. Sometimes I think there's something wrong with my church. When all of a sudden, as a young person, you come home, you get fired up, you want to do a Bible study, and the board is putting more money into new carpets and banisters than they are into evangelism. Sometimes I think there's something wrong with my church. Because the devil is gaining victories over them. But brothers and sisters, I'm here to talk to you tonight about the remnant. I want you to notice that the devil is not enraged with the woman and going to make war with the remnant of her seed because they are perfect. It doesn't say he's going to make war with the remnant of her seed because they're so holy. It doesn't say he's going to make war with the remnant of her seed because they're so faithful, because they are 100% dependent upon Jesus. No, no, no. It says because they keep the commandments of God and have the testimony of Jesus. You and I must realize something I learned a long time ago when I decided to join God's remnant church. My favorite preacher used to say, some people think when they come into the church, the devil's going to pat you on the back and wish you well. Oh, good job. You chose the right side. Jesus is going to win in the end. No, 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 no. As soon as you cross the line, the devil is waiting for you on the other side. So as soon as we made a decision to follow Jesus, let's not get it twisted in this place. That we're all of a sudden going to follow Christ. We don't believe in prosperity gospel. We believe in a gospel that perfects us, that is purifying us. And guess what? That means you're going to have some trials. Brothers and sisters, we need to know tonight, the message that we have to preach, you can't preach that message with power when you haven't been through something. A man came to me and said, Brother Sebastian, I want you to mentor me in preaching. And I said, Brother, I can teach you in 10 minutes everything I know about preaching. But what I cannot teach you is the life experience that goes behind the sermons. I don't just preach stuff because it makes sense. I preach it because I've experienced it. I know what it's like to stand for Jesus and be counted. When I decided to follow Christ, within a month's time, my stepfather passed away. 
Within four months' time, I had six, seven family members die. I'd never been to a funeral up until that point in my life. I went to go meet my grandfather for the very first time. And as I was driving up to see my grandfather, he passed away while I was in the car. So instead of going to meet my grandfather for the first time, I ended up going to his funeral. And as me and all my cousins were, were gathered in there, they said, oh, Sebastian's a Christian now. Oh, Sebastian's a disciple of Jesus now. He's a Jesus freak. They said, you know, it's so interesting, Sebastian, because nobody died in the family until you decided to follow God. I thought that when you make a decision to follow Jesus, that all of a sudden everything's going to go well. I said, what made you think that? I said, you show me one believer in the Bible that decided to follow Christ and things got smoother. All of a sudden, the Bible says that when God has called the remnant, as soon as the remnant agrees to that covenant with God, all of a sudden the devil is acting up in your life. All of a sudden he's pressing every button of temptation he can find. I want to take you back to the book of Genesis. Go to Genesis chapter 6. Because the devil has always been trying to make a mess out of the remnant. The Bible says in Genesis chapter 7, when you're there, you can say amen. Genesis chapter 7 and verse 23. The Bible says, So he, God, destroyed all living things which were on the face of the ground, both man and cattle, creeping thing and bird of the air. They were destroyed from the earth. Only Noah and those who were with them in the ark, what's that next word? Remained. That is where we get the concept of the remnant. They were the only ones that remained. Now I want you to notice something. How did God choose when he was going to destroy the earth of all of humanity? How did he choose who was going to be his remnant? How did he decide on Noah? I want you to go back to Noah to Genesis chapter 6. Genesis chapter 6. Beginning in verse 7, the Bible says, So the Lord said, I will destroy man whom I have created from the face of the earth, both man and beast, creeping thing and birds of the air, for I am sorry that I have made them. God had come to a point where he regretted the fact that he created a human being. And I can understand why God would feel that way just by watching the news. When you see what humanity is capable of, when you see the full expression of evil come out of the fingertips of mankind and womankind, you cannot believe what man is able to do. But the Bible says, even though God regretted that he made man, it says in the next verse, but Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Amen. The remnant are not a group of people who are perfect. The remnant are not a group of people who have all of a sudden been ready for translation on some platform of spirituality. The remnant are a group of individuals who have found grace in the eyes of the Lord. These are individuals who know what it's like that I do not deserve to be where I am right now. I do not deserve to be alive. It's almost like Lazarus. You can argue so many things in the story of Lazarus. But when you really come down to it and Jesus said, This sickness is not unto death, but it is for the glory of God. 
and you realize that when Lazarus is resurrected from the grave, no one is going to sit down and say, the miracle of Lazarus is not what he's eating, it's the fact that he can eat. Amen. The miracle of Lazarus has nothing to do with the fact of, oh, where is Lazarus walking? It's the fact that the brother is walking. I remember when he was laid in the grave. And so when you and I have gone through these experiences of failure and sin and darkness in our lives, and somehow in this crooked and perverse generation, we have found grace in the eyes of the Lord. C.S. Lewis used to tell it this way. He said, people walk around talking about when they found the Lord. He said, this is so funny. It's like the mouse saying, when I found the cat. No, the cat was looking for you the whole time. Can you say amen? Jesus was always looking for us. He was always seeking us. We didn't find the Lord. The Lord found us and we finally stopped resisting him. That's what happened at conversion. But because we found grace in the eyes of the Lord, and unfortunately, brothers and sisters, I have to say, even though we find grace in the eyes of the Lord, we don't always find grace in the eyes of each other. There are times I remember when I was coming out of my legal situation and I called a man on the phone and the man told me, he said, Sebastian, I want you to know that in my eyes, you are as innocent as if you never committed one thing. And then all of a sudden you come back to the church and all of a sudden people are saying, well, you know, I don't know about this brother because he has a past. I don't know about this man because he has a past. I don't know about this man because of where he came from. And I sat down with a church member and I said, if a person cannot preach because of their past, then who can preach? Amen. You tell me who can preach. Who doesn't have skeletons in the closet? Who hasn't been through the muck of life? Who hasn't known what it's like to be in the pit of temptation and despair? Knowing that there is no other reason why I am standing on this platform except because of the grace of God. Because the remnant is not a generation of perfect people, but people who found grace in the eyes of the Lord. And brothers and sisters, we need to learn how to find grace in the eyes of each other. So many times I remember being in a canvassing program. And they were saying, you know, in order to go out canvassing, sister, you, you got to have skirts can only wear dresses. So she goes and she, so, she shows up to worship and all of a sudden her dress is so short. You're thinking, okay, I gotta give my Bible study sitting next to you. So I sat next to her, I gave the worship and all of a sudden the leaders came to me and they said, oh man, she can't go out canvassing today. And so they pulled her aside and they said, look sister, you know, because of your dress, you know, you really can't go out door to door, you can't go canvassing today. She says, well, this is all I have, right? She starts crying. And I looked at them and I said, guys, 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 listen. Why don't we go to the store and buy her some other dresses? We can sit here and talk about the skirt all we want. Take off the skirt, put it in the trash, let's go to the mall, get you a dress, and let's get to spreading the word of the kingdom of God. We need to learn how to find grace in the eyes of each other. I remember preaching and a man told me why his wife was no longer coming to the church. I said, why is your wife not coming? He said, well, you know, brother, before I met my wife, 
she had gotten into a relationship and gotten pregnant outside of marriage. The church decided to disfellowship her and not the guy. The guy married her best friend in the same church. So after she had the baby, the church members used to shun her and avoid her, and she'd be walking in this African country, holding her baby tied to her back, and as she was walking, church members would drive right past her, not even offer her a ride. And then one day, a woman came up and said, excuse me, sister, are you going to the market? She said, actually, I am. She says, why don't you hop in? I'll take you to the market. Then she got to the market. She says, get whatever you need. I'll happily drop you off at home. So the woman put a whole cart of groceries thinking this is a gift from God. So she loaded up that cart when after they scanned all the items, she pulled out her wallet and the cashier said, <laughs> it's already been paid for. The woman over there paid for your groceries. She said, what? So she walked out of the line and with the groceries started loading them in the car and the lady said, hey, hey, don't worry about it. God is good. God is good. Don't worry about it. So she put the groceries in the car. The woman went to walk away with her baby and the woman came back with the keys. And she said, here, drive yourself and your baby home. You can keep the car this week. I'll call my husband to pick me up. She says, just meet me back here in one week. As she came back, the next week with the car, because there's no way you're not going to show up with that car. That person has been so grateful, gracious to you. You don't want to burn the hand that's feeding you. So she brought that car right back to the market. The woman said, well, why don't you get some groceries before we separate and I take your car. So she went ahead and got the groceries. Again, she got to the register. The woman paid for the groceries. Then she got back and she in the car and the woman said, listen, why don't you drive? She says, no, no, it's, it's your car. She says, no, actually, me and my husband prayed about it. We said, it's not right for a young mother to be walking. So we decided we're going to give you our car because we have another car. And she said, I just want you to know that you and your baby are accepted at our local Pentecostal church. Guess what church she was going to? And I told them, I said, brothers and sisters, I said, I told the man, I said, can I talk to your wife? Because I wanted her to know that this is not how all seven-day Adventists behave. I wanted her to know that the devil was angry, that the devil was wroth with the woman. He was trying to make a mess out of the remnant. And even though she didn't find grace in the eyes of those members, there are other people who she will find grace in their eyes. If I had known you would have had my car in a second, if I had known you would have had a place to stay, your groceries would have been taken care of. It has nothing to do with these brothers and sisters. I know there's people in this room that have been burned by fellow believers. And Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. But you know, after Noah had come out of the ark, the Bible says that God had brought Noah out the ark, and I want you to look in chapter 9. After God has chosen his remnant, and he said, Noah, you alone have I found righteous in this generation. Genesis chapter 9. Are you there? Verse 20, the Bible says, And Noah began to be a farmer, and he planted a vineyard. 
Then he drank of the wine and was drunk and became uncovered in his tent. And Ham, the father of Canaan, saw the nakedness of his father and told his two brothers outside. But Shem and Japheth took a garment and laid it on both their shoulders and went backward and covered the nakedness of their father. Their faces were turned away and they did not see their father's nakedness. How in the world is this your remnant? After all of this, Noah, 120 years of fighting against persecution, being misunderstood, being made fun of, Noah, really, you're building an ark? Where is the rain? Where are the clouds? All of this, Noah, 120 years you preach. And now that you've come off the ark, the, the waters have receded, you now worship God, now all of a sudden you're getting drunk off of wine? So drunk that you came up naked in your house. This is the remnant of God. The remaining portion. But you know what is happening, brothers and sisters. The reason why this happened is because the dragon was wroth with the woman. We don't need to beat a man when he's already down. The Bible says if a brother is overtaken in a fault, restore such a one with meekness and gentleness. Considering yourself also, lest you yourself be tempted. Brothers and sisters, let the devil do the accusing. Can you say amen? I don't want to do the devil's work for him. He's already busy enough as it is accusing people in their conscience, accusing people in private, accusing people behind their back. The devil is already busy enough. We don't need to help him. Gandhi said it this way. He said, I like your Christ. I do not like your Christians. Because your Christians are so unlike your Christ. I believe if people like Christ, and Christ was a Seventh-day Adventist, then people like the remnant but they may not like its followers. It brings us to a place to say, am I a part of the problem or am I a part of the solution? In each of these experiences, from Noah to Abraham to Isaac to Jacob to Joseph, to the nation of Israel in the wilderness, you're saying constantly, time and time again, here is the remnant of God attacked by the devil because he is enraged with the woman. Do you think after the devil has failed for millennium that he's not going to come down to us with great wrath? Because the Bible says he knows that he has but a short time. I'm going to say something that may be misunderstood, but that's okay. We have to realize, brothers and sisters, that if the devil knows that he has a short time, then how much time do we have? And if we don't have a lot of time, and the devil knows that he has a short time, do you think this is the time to be dilly-dallying with this sin and that sin? Do you think this is the time that you can sit down and say, well, I don't know if I can forgive. I don't know if I can reconcile. Brothers and sisters, we don't have that much time. You cannot be sitting on grudges. 
You cannot be sitting on hating your parents. Listen, I know as a preacher, one of the number one reasons why young people are dead in the church is because of the home life. It's because the remnant is failing in the family. I know. Parents always come and say, Brother Sebastian, my son loves your sermons. Can you talk to my son? I sit down with his son. I say, listen, what's your issue? Why are you not coming to church? Why did you not get up for the appeal? He says, it's because of my mom. There was a man that came and said, Brother Sebastian, I don't know why my wife doesn't come to church anymore. She just stopped coming. She just decided, you know what? I'm done with religion. I'm done with this. And I said, why do you think she said that? And he said, you know, it just hit me last night. My wife and I had an argument. Because I brought it up, I said, honey, why don't you just come to church? Why don't you just visit? And finally, after a long pause and tears in her eyes, she looked at her husband and she said, it's because of you why I don't come. I don't have a problem with the church. I have a problem with you. And you are a seven-day Adventist, and if that's what it means, I don't want to have anything to do with it. When your wife tells you that, I cannot tell you how broken this man was. To know you were called to be a spiritual leader and you were nothing but the devil's tool to destroy the faith of your wife. Brothers and sisters, I want to take you to one last passage. I want you to go to Matthew 11. As I bring this to a conclusion. Matthew 11, because I know somebody here is doubting this church because of what they see in their home, because of what they see in their church. They wonder, can this really be God's remnant church? The Bible says in Matthew chapter 11, are you there? Can you say amen? Amen. The Bible says in verse 2, and when John heard in prison about the works of Christ, he sent two of his disciples. And this is the message that John sent to Jesus. And when John had heard in prison about the works of Christ, he sent two of his disciples and said to him, Are you the coming one, or do we look for another? Are you the coming one, or do we look for another? John is the one that looked at the disciples and said, Behold the Lamb of God. John is the one that prepared the way of the Lord to make straight the paths. John was the one that laid the groundwork for the King of kings and the Lord of lords to be born upon this earth and to prepare a people to meet their God. John was the one that said, Christ, him, Jesus of Nazareth, that is the Son of God, come down. And now in this moment, in the prison, because he is suffering, because he is alone, because he is in a dark place, he's now questioning, are you really the Christ? And a friend told me one time, what my message and what I believe Jesus' message was to John, never doubt in the darkness what God has told you in the light. Never doubt in the darkness what God has told you in the light. 
When you get discouraged at your church because your pastor's not preaching the word, go back to how you came into church. Go back to what broke your heart and brought you to the altar and said, all to Jesus I surrender. Go back to that point where you were crying on your knees in tears and said, I have decided to follow Jesus. When you decided in your mind, though no one joined me, still I will follow. When you came to that place in your experience where you said, I will follow you, my Savior, wheresoever my lot may be, where thou goest, I will follow. By thy grace, I'll follow thee. You go back to that, mo that moment where you met your Savior at that cross. And you remember that Jesus looked beyond your faults and he saw your need. You remember that Jesus looked beyond your sinful ways and saw your need. You remember that moment when Jesus looked beyond your foolishness, your brokenness, your selfishness, your depression, and he saw your need. And he said, even though your life is beat up and broken down, I'll still accept you. You can still come home and you're not going to be my servant. You're not going to be my slave. You're going to be my child. And you're going to be joint heirs with Jesus. Brothers and sisters, if there's someone here that is hurting tonight, someone here that is doubting that this is God's church because of what's happening inside the church, I want to tell you, do not doubt in the darkness what God told you in the light. Just because it's dark, just because it hurts, just because you're alone, don't doubt it. John knew that Jesus was the Christ. And there was a day where every single one of us knew this was God's church. But because things have gotten hard, we start questioning. And we do what John did. Lord, is this really your church? Is this really your church? Every head is bowed, every eye is closed. As my wife comes out to sing, I want to make a very simple appeal. And that appeal is this. If you are someone in this room that says, Lord, I have been hurt, I have been discouraged, I've been broken down, because of what I've seen inside your church. But tonight I'm coming up to this altar to tell you, Lord, I don't want to doubt in the darkness what you've told me in the light. Lord, I want you to take me back to that moment where I understood what it was to experience amazing grace. Lord, I want you to remind me how excited I was to come to Sabbath school. I want you to take me back to why I decided to go to a missionary school. I want you to take me back to that moment when I said, Lord, I would do whatever it takes to finish this work in this generation. But Lord, I see my heart has grown cold because of what I've seen inside your church. And so as Candace sings, you say, Lord, you're speaking to me tonight, and I need you to restore my faith in your church. If God is speaking to you 
to restore your faith tonight and you say, Lord, no longer will I doubt in the darkness what you've told me in the light. I want you to come up out of your seat to this altar to pray with me that God would restore faith in his church. Come. Amazing grace will always be my song of praise for it was grace that bought my liberty I do not know just how he came to love me so. Let this song be your prayer. He looked beyond my faults and saw my need. I shall forever lift my eyes to Calvary's to for me how marvelous the grace that caught my falling soul he looked beyond my faults and saw my need I shall forever lift my eyes to Calvary to view the cross where Jesus died for me, how marvelous the grace that caught my falling soul. He looked beyond. He looked beyond. in heaven Lord we are kneeling here because we've been in that place where John was where we were doubting in the darkness what God told us 
in the light. And so we are here, Lord, asking that you would give us the courage. Lord, that you would give us the healing. That you would give us the vision and the joy and the excitement to be reminded that even in these dark times, the devil is still going to lose. To know in these moments that Jesus' church is going to go through. That there's only one ark that's going to navigate the stormy waves of a flood. Help us to stay on board, Lord. And help us to go back to that moment where we met Jesus on that cross. And may we forever lift our eyes to Calvary. This is our prayer. And we offer it in Jesus' name. Amen. This message was recorded at the GYC 2015 conference called Chosen Faithful in Louisville, Kentucky. GYC, a supporting ministry of the Seventh-day Adventist Church, seeks to inspire young people to be Bible-based, Christ-centered, and soul-winning Christians. To download or purchase other resources like this, visit us online at www.gycweb.org.